0: Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 28, and I'll just make mention of something even before we we dig into this particular chapter of Scripture. You can see that we're working our way to the end of the book of Proverbs, and we've been studying it together for quite a while. And as we've been looking at the book of Proverbs, we've carved up each chapter in somewhat different ways. Some of the chapters we've looked at just a small section, some we've looked at a large section. But the book is kind of a unique book to study in a sermon-type context because some of the chapters talk about many, many different subjects, while other chapters have a theme to them that kind of works its way through the majority of the chapter. And we saw some of those theme chapters early in the book, and now that we're in the later part of the book, we're finding those theme chapters as well. And today what we're going to do is this, in just a moment, I'm going to read the entirety of Proverbs chapter 28. And then we're going to look at, at four different sections of this chapter, and we're going to be asking the question and answering, what do you do with the power you're given? Because there's at least four different areas in this portion of Scripture that demonstrate the power that the Lord gives us and then the opportunity we have to apply that power in particular and specific ways. So Proverbs chapter 28, I'm going to read through the whole thing, but then like I said, we're going to work through it a bit at a time, asking that question, what do you do with the power you're given? So look at verse one with me as I read through the chapter. It says this, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. When a land transgresses, it has many rulers, but with a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will long continue. A poor man who oppresses the poor is a beating rain that leaves no food. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding. But a companion of gluttons shames his father. Whoever multiplies his wealth by, in, by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Whoever misleads the upright in an evil way will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will have a goodly inheritance." A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. If one is burdened with the blood of another, he will be a fugitive until death. Let no one help him. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread a man will do wrong. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says, That is no transgression, is a companion to a man who destroys. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes Will get many a curse. And then verse 28 finishes by saying, When the wicked rise, people hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it together today. And Lord, we pray that you'd prepare our minds and prepare our hearts to understand the things that you've communicated to us. In this chapter of Scripture, we know, Lord, that it's a bit longer than some of the passages we've been looking at together over the course of the past few weeks. But, Lord, there's so much interesting content here in this portion of Scripture, and we can see the various themes that you've developed that that I believe you want us to notice as we're looking through this portion of your Word. So we pray that our minds and our hearts would be open to these things. We pray that we would understand more about you and more about what you desire for our lives And we would glorify you, Lord, as we apply the portion of Scripture that we just read together to our lives as we walk with you by faith. So we commit this time to you now, Lord, and we pray that you'd speak to our hearts. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have often heard it said, and I've I've said this as well many times, that if you want to know what somebody's really like, give them power. If you want to know what somebody's like, you're going to find out. If you give them a little bit of power, they'll show you exactly what they're like. Most people cannot handle it. Most people in your life, most people in my life, they they have shown that they cannot handle it. And in fact, some people, and even when you look at the the, over the course of human history, you can see this. Some people do terrible things when they're given power. And that tends to be something that that can even become a pattern in, in, in many respects. But the best leaders demonstrate the servant heart of Jesus while the worst make their decisions for selfish or vindictive reasons with little concern for how others' lives are going to be impacted by those decisions. Now, at some point in your life, it's very likely that you're going to be entrusted with power. It may be on a small scale or it may be on a large scale, but at some point in your life, it's very likely that you're going to be entrusted with some level of power. And when that day comes, what are you going to do with it? And please keep in mind that for the believer in Jesus Christ, we've already been granted power spiritually, and Scripture reveals that to us, and we're called to, we're called to steward that power for Christ's glory. So are you already utilizing the spiritual power that the Lord's given us, or are you falling, falling into the trap that's mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, where it speaks of some people as having the appearance of godliness, but denying it's power. Those are the two options that we have. We can actually utilize the power the Lord gives to us as a stewardship, or we could end up having the appearance of godliness, but failing to, but fail to utilize the power that the Lord's entrusted to us. Now, in Proverbs 28 that we just read, it, it shows us the application of power in a variety of areas. We're shown very broad categories here where power can actually be utilized and applied. Some make great use of those opportunities and others don't. So again, what will you do with the power that you're given? And what I want to do in our remaining time is take a look at some of those broad categories that this portion of Scripture brings up and show you some of the themes in the different verses that weave their way through this chapter. And one of the applications of power that we'll see in this portion of Scripture is this, the fact that the power to lead is misused by most. Most people, when given the power to lead, actually misuse that power. I'm going to reread a few verses for us, verses 2, 12, 16, and 28. But those verses say this, When a land transgresses, it has many rulers, but with a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will long continue. Then in verse 12, it says, When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. Verse 16 says, A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. And then when you jump to verse 28, it says, when the wicked rise, people hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. Let me pause there for just a second. A few months ago, I was talking to a a good friend of mine, and he had just started a brand new job and so he was in the midst of this he had been serving there for a period of time but it wasn't it wasn't too long since he had started his new occupation And he said it's not his favorite job that he's ever had, but he likes it enough, and he's glad that he has the opportunity to work for the company that he's working for. But after a short time of serving in that particular role, he actually requested to be transferred to a different location within the company. And I asked him about that. I said, why are you asking for a transfer so so early after starting to work for a company? And he said this. He admitted that from his perspective, he said it was like torture to have to work under his present supervisor. Now, uh, have you ever had an experience like that where you're working under a particular supervisor? And to, I'm seeing a lot of nodding heads. So this is not a unique circumstance, right? And but I said, "Well, what's your supervisor like?" And he said, "Here are the words I would use to describe my supervisor. He is arrogant. He is demeaning. He is discouraging. And uh, and then he went on to say that the thought of having to deal with this supervisor for." months, or maybe even years, he said, this is actually making me sick to my stomach when I leave from work, when I think of the prospect of having to deal with this over a prolonged period of time. And so he asked if he could be transferred. Someone pulled him aside and said, tell us why you want to be transferred. And he discovered he wasn't the only person making that request for those same reasons. And so they granted his transfer. And it was interesting to see, and I think it's a good case study in leadership because the truth is, good leadership can be hard to find. It can be very hard to find. Good leadership can be hard to find. When you do find it, aren't you, don't you almost feel relieved when you experience good leadership in work, in government, in just, you know, any organization that you're, that you're part of? You feel relieved when you find it because sometimes it can be very difficult to find, and Solomon knew that. Solomon, as he's writing these things down, or as he's communicating these things and they're being written down in the book of Proverbs, as he's voicing these words, he illustrates this in great detail because he was, he was a leader himself, he was surrounded by leaders, and the Lord had given him wisdom to be able to differentiate between what good leadership looks like and what poor leadership looks like. In fact, if you remember when Solomon was in his, I think he was probably in his late teens, when he prayed to the Lord that the Lord would give him wisdom And he specifically asked that the Lord would give him wisdom to lead the people that he had been called to lead, because he was basically saying, look, I'm young, I'm inexperienced, this is a big and weighty task, I need your wisdom to be able to lead. If you ever put in a position of leadership, pray for wisdom. Solomon was somebody that was put in a position of leadership, and he prayed for wisdom, and the Lord granted him that wisdom. Solomon knew what it was like to lead, and he illustrates here the difference between good leadership and poor leadership, godly leadership and ungodly leadership. And basically he shows us here that ungodly leadership has a negative impact on everyone that ends up having to interact with it. It has very far-reaching, very far-negative effects. When the power to lead is misused, the, the things that, that uh, Solomon illustrates here, he shows us that when that, when that power is misused, It can destroy a culture. It can cause people to withdraw. It can foster various forms of oppression. And it can discourage participation. And there's all these things that Solomon illustrates here. And I think that that's why for us as believers in Jesus Christ, that it's vital for us to look to the example of Christ if we're ever placed in a position of leadership. We need to look to Christ's example so that we don't go down the path that Solomon is cautioning us not to go down. A real leader isn't a boss. Now, even before I go any further, think about that statement for just a second. Why am I saying it that way? A real leader isn't a boss. Do you ever see those mugs? You know, Michael Scott always had one, world's best boss, right? World's best boss. I don't actually think it's a compliment for somebody to be, to be called a boss. I think the word leader is preferable to, be a, to, to, to being a boss, right? What's the difference between a leader and a boss? A boss is somebody that's kind of barking at you or kind of, you know, kicking you to do the thing that that they want you to do. But a leader isn't saying, you go do this thing and then come back and report. A leader is saying, come with me as we do this thing together. There's a very big difference between godly leadership and ungodly bossing. And Christ-centered leaders, they view their role through the lens of servanthood. It's like a switch that gets flipped in your mind when you start to understand how Christ actually led, how Christ actually influenced, why we have such deep allegiance to Jesus Christ. Leaders who model Christ's heart, they see leading as a willingness to serve and at times to suffer in order to make the lives of other people better. Those are the kind of leaders that Christ has called us to be and he modeled it first. And I think it's interesting when you look at what he, what he says in the book of Matthew in chapter 20, he makes an interesting comment here that maybe you're already familiar with, but I want to highlight it for us because Jesus said this in Matthew 20, when you look at verses 25 and 26, it says this, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, right? But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. So the idea here is that he's saying, all right, look at, look at how the unbelieving world idolizes leadership and how they utilize leadership or how they utilize power when it's entrusted to them. What do they end up doing with it? In many respects, what they end up doing, Jesus says, is they try to lord that over people. And I think we've all been on the receiving end of that in one way or another. There's probably some example that you can think of over the course of your life where you can think of someone that was entrusted with the ability to lead, and all they did was think that it was a, a permission slip for them to lord that authority over other people. It was like it changed their personality, and they didn't care who they negatively impacted. All they wanted to do was to have their moment in the sun where they got to call the shots, And Jesus said, that's like the heart of of the unbelieving world. That's what the Gentile leaders were known for doing. And he says, among those who bear his name, it should be totally different. He says this again. He says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. So if someone among among the believers of Christ truly seek to be be great in their walk with Christ, he says, fine, that's that's good. Aspire to that with a servant's heart. Serve. Serve. That's the essence of... Of Godly leadership. That's the essence of Christ-like leadership. That's what Jesus modeled, but it's also what he empowers. That's what the Lord calls us to do. And you have Solomon illustrating the consequences of people not doing that in the verses that we just looked at, but he also shows us the benefit of when people actually get that when that clicks in their mind, when that clicks in their heart. Well, look at the other application of power that he shows us in some of these verses here because he goes on to show us that the power to obey, and I don't know if we necessarily think of obedience as something that the Lord empowers us to do, but it is something he empowers us to do. And Solomon here shows us that the power to obey is utilized by the faithful. Let me show you a few verses here. In verse 1, he says this, "...the wicked flee when no one pursues." But the righteous are bold as a lion. And then in verse 4, he says, Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. If you jump to verse 18, he says this, Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. And then in verse 20, he says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich, Will not go unpunished. Can I share with you a few questions that I ask myself related to the things that Solomon brings up here? Because he's showing us that the power to obey is utilized by the faithful. But I think to myself frequently, all right, well, what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to live a faithful life? Or what does it mean to live with in- integrity? And so I want to, I want to just share with you questions I ask myself in the hopes that you'll also find it helpful. One of the questions that I I like to ask myself is this. Do you have a hidden life, or is your life an open book? I find that helpful, because it's my goal not to have a hidden life. I want my life to be an open book. Secondly, is there any part of your life that you wouldn't be comfortable letting others know about? Is there any part of your life that you would not be comfortable letting others know about? Third question is this, are you being transparent with your spouse, with your children, and with your friends? You know, the people that know you well, the people that call you family, the people that you interact with most, are you being transparent with them? Fourth thing is this, is there any aspect of your life that you're trying to hide from the Lord? Any aspect of your life that you're trying to hide from the Lord? Now, I will admit to you that there have been seasons in my life where I have tried to hide things from the Lord, and I'll also admit it doesn't work very well. My conscience doesn't feel very good about it. Uh, my relationships suffer. And ultimately, there's nothing more poisonous to joy than going through life feeling like you're trying to hide something from your Creator. And so as time has gone on and the Lord has convinced me of these things, these are the type of things that I'm asking myself, and I'm just throwing this out to you. If it's truly your desire to be faithful to Jesus Christ, you've been given the power to do that. Are you utilizing that power? It can be helpful to ask questions like this because integrity and faithfulness are traits that are modeled by our Lord. And he desires to see those traits lived out among his people. And he indwells us with his spirit toward that end so that we don't have to rely on our own strength or our own wisdom or our own abilities to try and facilitate that. But those who reject the Lord's presence in their lives, those who reject the Lord's guidance, what they do is they take their lives in a much different direction, and Solomon describes that direction for us, and also the consequences of it when you look at this. And basically he reveals to us that when a person forsakes obedience to the Lord and actually tries to hide from him, which, by the way, is impossible to do, But we try to do that from time to time. And he says when somebody is trying to do that, what happens is they'll do things like they will flee when they aren't even being pursued. It's like they'll they'll just make a pattern of running when they're not actually being pursued, but their conscience will be so troubled that they feel like they need to flee, even though no one's one's pursuing them. Have you ever watched a documentary on on people that are involved in, in various forms of crime? What do they do? They spend every day paranoid. It's like, oh, I'm going to get caught. I'm going to get caught. I'm going to get caught. There is, that is not a joyful sounding life. <laughs> you know, to just think like, oh, maybe today's the day I get caught. Maybe today's the day I get caught. They, pers- they flee even when they're not being pursued, Solomon points out. He also says they forsake the law, that they'll fall in ways that they don't see coming and that they will experience the consequence of their rebellion. But no one gets away with anything. Now, that's such a terrible outcome, that when you look at it, it's hard to understand why anyone would desire that. But you know why people desire that? Or you know why people actually spend energy pursuing that kind of life, a life that's, that's being hidden from the Lord, a life of rebellion, a life of ignoring the Word of God and the counsel of Scripture? They go about life thinking that these things that Solomon's describing here as consequences only apply to other people. Have you ever done that to yourself? Where you think, yeah, I mean, I believe that's true. It'll primarily apply to other people, not to me. We think it'll apply to other people. The deceptive of wickedness, the, the, the deceptiveness of wickedness, it makes us believe that somehow we will be the one exception. And there are no exceptions. We think we'll be the one exception to these things, and Scripture reveals to us there are no exceptions. But through faith in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, what ends up happening is our desires and our aspirations drastically change. The things we want, the things we crave, the things we become convinced will satisfy our soul, it drastically changes. So it may be that in the past we delighted in trying to rebel against the Lord. It may be that in the past we delighted in trying to hide from the Lord, but the Spirit opens our eyes to see a better way, a different way, a new way. He transforms our thinking, and He gives us the power to obey and also a desire to obey, and in that obedience we experience blessing and An undisturbed conscience. And I've got to tell you, if right now you feel like you're going through a season of life where you're struggling to experience joy, one of the things that I would encourage you to examine closely is whether or not there's something troubling your conscience. And if there's something troubling your conscience, don't try and hide it from the Lord because He already knows that it exists. Give it over to Him and ask Him for the strength to move beyond it so that you could ultimately experience the joy in the Lord that you've been designed to experience. The power to obey is utilized by the faithful. The Holy Spirit desires to give you and me that kind of power. He offers it to us, and we're called to utilize it. Well, there's something else that this scripture brings out that I think is a useful theme for us to keep in mind when we're talking about power, and that's this. The power to help is a tool in the Lord's hands. Now, think about this. Look with me at verse 22, right down to verse 25. Look at the examples that Solomon gives here. The power to help is a tool in the Lord's hands. He says this, A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says, That is no transgression, is a companion to a man who destroys. And verse 25 says, a greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Um, Does anyone like this time of year in particular when the weather starts getting warmer and the days start getting longer? Like, do I seem happier to you today than, you know, two months ago? Because I feel happier. (laughs) Like as soon as I, as soon as the I get, I'm at that point now, like when I still see a pile of snow in a parking lot, I'm, I'm like yelling at it from my car. I'm like, come on, do your thing. Turn to a puddle already, right? I think it's like arrogant of the snow to think that it could stick around once you get past March 21st, right? Anyway, one of the things, I won't rant too much about that. I know that that's not our desire today, or maybe you want to rant with me on that. I don't know. <laughs> But I love spring. I love it. I love when the sun comes out. I love when the weather starts turning warm. It's great. I feel like for a couple months here, uh, I will feel an extra, like just boost. And one of the things that I notice, and I'm sure you notice this too, is that when spring comes, you start to hear birds. You know, you see buds on the trees, and, the, and then you hear you hear the birds singing, right? And I think, oh, it's here because I'm hearing the birds. Early in the morning, I'm hearing them. Throughout the day, I'm hearing them. When I go to the car wash, I'm washing them off my car. The whole thing, right? It's just spring everywhere, right? Well, I've heard this before, and I read about this again recently, and I thought I'd share it with you, and maybe you've, you've already seen some of this, but have you noticed, when you're, if you're observing birds, have you noticed when geese fly, they, they utilize that V formation, and you watch them do that, and you think, how do they know to do that? Do you know that a study was done some years ago by two engineers that kind of figured out some of the science behind what the geese are actually trying to accomplish? Have you ever heard anything about this? I've heard this from a few different spots, but I read about this again recently recently. So you had two engineers, and they decided to actually calibrate in a wind tunnel why geese were flying in formation. And they discovered that each goose, when it's flapping its wings, what it ends up doing is it creates an uplift for the geese that follow it. And so it's making the life of the geese that follow it actually better by creating that uplift by flapping with its wings. And they calculated, and this amazes me, this is why math is important, by the way, those of you that think math isn't important. They calculated that the whole flock gains 71% greater flying range than if they tried to journey alone. 71%. That's significant. That's noticeable. And so that's actually, you know, geese are designed by God to utilize this. And so that's why you have somebody who for a season will be the leader of the V formation. And they do the heavy lifting, starting that out. But then if you notice, they fall back, they fall back into the formation and then someone else takes the lead. And they do that for the mutual benefit that it creates. Some person leads, then they tire out, they go back into formation, someone else leads, and they stay in that line because they realize that there is mutual benefit for doing so. Now, here's something that is true that I think we could take as an application from that. Everyone goes further and everyone does better when they have the help of somebody else. That is a universally true statement. Everyone goes further and does better when they have help. So you have geese, they fly more efficiently when they have the help of other geese. And we as believers in Christ, we live more fruitfully when we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are helping to lift each other up. We will never grow to the level that we have been designed by God to grow to without the help of the people that he has strategically surrounded us with. And that's something I have to tell you, you know, here we are into, you know, we're one year into, um, you know, quite a lot of societal change. Can I tell you that one of the things that maybe some of you um, noticed last May when I started to get really, really testy in my live stream messages, and uh, I remember Matt Thomas as he was recording it for me, it was just me and Matt in the room here, and I started to get a little testy in those messages, and the one day I just kind of had it, I was like, I am sick of preaching to know people and, 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 and not getting to see anyone's face for months after months after months. We are not designed to operate like this. And I got so testy about it because when you look at what scripture says, it says, don't forsake assembling together. It has a negative impact on your own spiritual growth and it has a negative impact on the church as a whole. And with no end in sight, I just remember getting to a spot and maybe I, you know, I don't know, sometimes I, get, I can get myself worked up pretty easily. It doesn't take much. Um, but I remember getting to a spot where I was like, this isn't right. I And I, I, I thought like this, I'm, I couldn't, and I still think about it, the negative spiritual consequences long-term that people will experience for forsaking assembling with their brothers and sisters in Christ. We can deny that all we want, but it's a very real thing. And Scripture says that it's real, and Scripture says that it, it matters. And And when you... When you look at how we're designed, we're designed to lift one another up. We're designed to help one another. And the Lord actually uses the help that we provide to one another as one of his main tools in the building of his church. We grow spiritually and our outreach grows more exponentially. It's one of his tools. And so in general, you have Solomon giving us a few examples of what it looks like to commit to help one another. But he also shows us what it's like when someone withholds the blessings that are within their power to give. And we've all seen that as well, right? When we're, when we're able to bless and we choose not to, or when somebody actually says, I'm able to bless and they choose to do so. But when you withhold the blessing, look what he says here. He says, those who are stingy or rob others will eventually experience material, relational, and spiritual poverty. That's a good summary of what Solomon says in this passage. But those who demonstrate their trust in the Lord by sharing the blessings that He bestows, they are themselves frequently enriched even more so that they have the opportunity to materially and relationally and spiritually bless other people. So I just want to ask us this question related to that. Do you see yourself as a tool in the Lord's hand to lift somebody else up? You are... One of those tools, but I'm just curious if you see yourself as one of those tools yet. Part of our growth in our relationship with Christ is when we start to see ourselves as one of those tools that He's using to build His church. He's not just using somebody else that you think is more qualified. He's using you. And our qualifications don't come from earthly standards. Our qualifications come from the Holy Spirit who lives within every believer. So if you've trusted in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives within you, you have been supernaturally qualified to be one of those tools in the Lord's hand to lift somebody else up. And whether or not we see ourselves as one of those tools yet is maybe something we should wrestle with. But I'm telling you, biblically speaking, you are one of those tools. So be useful as one of those tools to lift other people up as the Lord enables you to do so. And there's one other thing that I want to point out to us that I think is a useful category to keep in mind as we look at Proverbs 28. And this is where we'll finish today. But here you have Solomon illustrating at least two different times this idea of the power to trust. Well, what does the power to trust lead to? It leads to everlasting hope. Look at what he says. Now, we already read verse 25. I'm going to reread it again in this section, too. But I'm going to reread verses 25 and 26. He says it this way. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. There's a big lesson that the Lord wants us to get out of life. There's a lot of lessons he wants us to get out of life, but there's a big one. And the big one is this. He wants us to learn to trust him in all circumstances. The other lessons are important too, but that's the big lesson. And the other ones, I think, fall under that umbrella lesson. The Lord wants you and me to learn to trust him in all circumstances of life. But you know what the temptation in this era of time happens to be, or this age of history? The temptation in this age is to trust ourselves. You and I are going to be tempted to primarily trust ourselves. We live in an era of rampant humanism. We idolize what we think we know, and we struggle to acknowledge the limits of human reason. We don't even want to acknowledge it. And it's interesting, and I find it comical that we don't even know what's on the, the floor of the ocean yet, right? We can't get there yet. We've tried, but you know, we get further and further down, but we still haven't even figured out what's on the floor of the ocean yet and yet we claim to understand the formation of the universe from a completely humanistic perspective as if it came into being apart from the creative intervention of God. We don't even understand what's on the ocean floor, and yet we claim to have a humanistic understanding of the origin of the universe. It doesn't line up. And what we end up doing is we end up trusting human reason even when it doesn't make logical sense and there's visible evidence that it doesn't. But genuine trust in Jesus Christ is different from that. Genuine trust in Jesus Christ leads to everlasting hope. Solomon illustrates it this way. He says, he tells us, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Solomon must have been an interesting guy to interact with, right? You ever meet some people that just like tell you how it is? I kind of get the impression he was one of those people who just told you how it was, right? He says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he says, the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. So if we trust in our own mind, we're foolish. We forsake blessing. But when we trust in the Lord, we welcome blessing. So we can either idolize ourselves and come to ruin, or we can trust Jesus, who is the source of divine wisdom and divine power. The greater wisdom is found in trusting Christ. The greater power is found in trusting Christ. And His calling on our lives is that we would put that power to work. But sometimes power gets underutilized or or not utilized at all, when it's right there in front of us. I heard a very interesting story this past week of a missionary who was in an area where what they would do is they had a car that would be entrusted to the missionary that was serving at that particular station for a period of time. So however long you were there, you were able to use that car, but then you left that car for the next missionary that came after you. And this one particular missionary, he was using the car, but he noticed that he couldn't get it started without a push. Somebody had to push it. Uh, or there had to be some momentum for the thing to actually fire up. So he thought he was clever, and he would park it next to a school, and he actually got permission from some of the teachers that when he needed to start the car, that some of the students could come out and help give the car a push. And they'd give, a, give it a push, and he'd drive around, and sometimes he'd leave it running, or he'd leave it parked on an incline or on a hill so that he could he could you know use that incline to give it the momentum to actually get it started. And he did this for two years. And then toward the end of the two years, he came down with some sort of an illness that actually ended his term a little bit earlier than expected. So the mission agency he was working with sent another missionary to take his place. And the first missionary thought, all right, I'm going to do something super helpful for the new missionary, and I'm going to show him all the tricks to get this car started right. And so he said, all right, listen, here's everything I've figured out, and I've been doing this for two years, every day for two years. All right, you go over, you park by the school, the kids know they they come out, they help you, they give it a push, you park on the hill. And while he's giving him all this instruction, the other missionary popped the hood and looked under, and he just reached in real quick, and there was a, a a wire that was only loosely connected to something it was supposed to be connected to, and so he just kind of twisted it back in place, and he's like, You don't need to finish your explanation, just making sure that's connected all the way gives it the power to start. And then he went in and he fired it up and the car started. So for two years. The previous, I was cracking up when I read this story. For two years, you have the guy thinking, all right, got to get the school children. i got to park on the hill. And the power was right there in front of him. He just wasn't utilizing it. And I was thinking to myself, is there not a great spiritual application to that very same thing about this idea of power being right in front of us that we're not utilizing or not making use of? I don't know if you've ever read the J.B. Phillips translation or paraphrase Of Scripture. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, J.B. Phillips says this He says, How tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. How tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. And so often that power is right in front of us, we don't even use it. We're used to it being there. Maybe we even find some comfort in knowing that the power of God is there. But it's like, do more than just know that it's there. Actually use the power of God that He makes available to you as you know Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. So again, what do you do with the power that you're given? Use it to lead. Use it to obey. Use it to help. Use it to trust. These are the examples that Solomon gives us here in Proverbs chapter 28 that I think we're supposed to take to heart. Glorify Christ with the stewardship of the power that He entrusts to you, Not only is that going to be a benefit to you, but it's also going to be a tool that he uses to actively build his church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at these things and to just think about the things that you're doing and how you're operating in our lives. And Lord, we recognize we don't get it perfect this side of heaven. I, I struggle with so many things, that, and I know that all of us do as well. And so often it comes down to just trying to go about life in my own wisdom and in my own power. And I, again, I'm certain I'm not the only one that wrestles with that. And so we have your power right in front of us. And I think to myself, are we using your power or are we just acknowledging that it's theologically true but not walking in it? But Father, we're grateful that through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, we are likewise indwelled with your Spirit. and Your Spirit counsels us and he guides us and He empowers us, and He gifts us. Your Spirit, He is active in the lives of all believers. And Lord, so often we can easily find ourselves quenching or stifling the work of your Spirit. It's as if we want to idolize our own thinking or worldly logic just a little bit longer. But Lord, you reveal to us in your word here through the the words of Solomon that if we trust in in our own thinking, we trust in our own mind, that's a foolish thing to do. If we want to be spiritually, emotionally, materially enriched in the ways in which you desire to enrich your people, it doesn't come from trusting in ourselves. It doesn't come from valuing worldly things. It doesn't come from idolizing the things of this world. You've called us to trust in you and then to use every blessing that you've given to us, the spiritual blessings, the relational blessings, the material blessings, to serve somebody else so that we demonstrate the heart of your son, Jesus Christ, and so your church is actively built up. So Lord, thank you for the stewardship of your power that you've given to us. We pray that we would utilize it well. We pray that we'd honor your name as we do so. We're just thankful, Lord, for the wisdom that you allow us to experience as we work our way through the book of Proverbs. Lord, it's so useful and it's so helpful, and we pray that we would see things that maybe for a while we've been missing. Maybe these are even things that we've thought about in the past, but we just haven't thought about them recently. And if that's the case, Lord, we pray that we would think about these things today, and and we pray that they would regularly come across our minds so that we would live our lives in such a way that you're honored and glorified. Thank you again, Lord, for the privilege to be able to come together and worship you as one body. And we commit ourselves to you, and thank you, Lord, for all your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. We hope to better equip you to be salt and light for your community. Uh, We hope that we can help you to go out and be a reflection of Jesus Christ to those around you, uh, to your friends and your family, and especially to those that do not know Christ. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.